If you have your Bibles here this morning, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. And let's go to chapter 28. Leave a marker there. Then flip back a little bit and go to the book of Isaiah. And go to chapter 14. Leave a marker there. But we're going to start here in Ezekiel chapter 28. Do you know your enemy? I want to look at part one. And I want to give you some background. I want to build this up. Nations, armies, generals, coaches, CEOs of huge corporations, and the list goes on. They all have something in common. When they know a battle or a challenge is before them, no matter how small or how great, one of the first agendas on the table as you begin your strategies, as you begin to strategize your plan of attack, and as you plan out your objectives, you must have some type of goal. You may start out first with, what about having plan A? And I've done this. And then you might say, well, what if plan A does not come to pass? There has to be a plan B. And then there are others that say, well, I'm not only going to have a plan A and a plan B, but I'm going to have to have also a plan C. You don't want to be caught off guard. As the idiom says, to be caught up uh, up the creek without a paddle. And, and we've heard that term. It's like, I, I want you to see the, the sanctuary here. Imagine all the chairs gone. And then... Uh, it's a, it's a nice, beautiful wood floor. And it's been finished, and, and now you've been asked to varnish it. And so you've got your paints and such, and, and you start at this corner, and you take it all the way. And you're so happy, everything's going good, but all of a sudden you paint yourself into a corner. And so you're up the, the creek without a paddle. And so many times that happens, uh, even to the best of us. And so we need to understand, we need to have a plan, we need to have a, a solution, we, ne- we need to have A, B, and C. And so we need to know our enemy as best as possible. Understand our enemies have weaknesses, but so do we. Our opponents have weaknesses, but so do we. We need to understand their strength. We need to understand their weak points. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I need to know my enemy. You need to know your enemy. And we know that the enemy is Lucifer. Satan, the devil, the dragon. He goes by many names. Many of you are going through so many major trials. Tribulation, hardship, and pain. For some, the cancer has either been diagnosed or the cancer has returned. It's not an easy task. Something that I go through with the, uh, the fellowship and the body of Christ, I get the phone call, Pastor Bob, pray for me. I've been diagnosed. And then it's taken care of. Months go by. Then I get another phone call, Pastor Bob, help me. Pray for me. The cancer's come back. I thought they got it all. But the cancer's come back. And so we have to have a plan. We have to have a purpose. We have to have a reason. The Bible says it rains in the just and the unjust. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean we're not going to have a trial. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean uh, we're not going to get the cancer. Just yesterday I received a phone call 
a beautiful lady in Amarillo, Texas. She died in her sleep. The family's just distraught. They didn't know that she had any kind of problems. She was pretty healthy. She'd never woke up. Imagine her husband waking up. You go through the routine, coffee, you know, breakfast, whatever it might be, and she's not moving. I want you to pray for this man. His name is Junior. That's what they call him. And he's attempting suicide twice now. He's hurt. Why, Lord? This is a Christian man. So it happens to the best of us. And the enemy is there trying to badger you. The enemy is there filling your mind and your heart. Yeah, your wife's dead. Now take your life. It's not to our lives to give. We belong to the Lord. And so I want to know our enemy. And, and we get a beautiful description in Ezekiel chapter 28. Now I believe that you're going to see something here that describes Lucifer himself. Now obviously, let me give you just a little bit of a background here concerning uh, the prince, the king of Tyre. Who was this prince? This king of Tyre, some think it was a King Hiram, and he was one of their kings at one time. And then uh, others think it was King Ithabal, who followed Hiram. Others say it describes Lucifer, listen, the devil himself, uh, with whom the chronological order and circumstances best agree. Another thought is that this prince of Tyre is the guardian angel of the city of Tyre. Years back, I had the privilege and the honor to go uh, with one of our missionaries. Uh, I was three weeks uh, in Europe. We started off in Germany, and then we took trains, and we went all the way uh, to Russia. And so I, I got to see a lot of the, the cities in Europe and the big cities. And they're, they're totally different than our particular city. you got to remember, this is old school. And then all of a sudden, I'd see these massive buildings and I see these images on the corners. And as I got closer, they're very grotesque looking. And they're called gargoyles. And these gargoyles are the spirits that protect the city. And they're hideous. They're scary. And yet that's what they, they place themselves. And so a lot of people thought that this king of Tyre describes the guardian angel at this time. But you're going to see that I believe strongly it describes Lucifer himself. You're going to see that he was a created being, a God. He was a special angel. He was called a cherubim. And a cherubim was one that covered. He had a specific duty. Now, I believe that we have Michael the archangel and we have Gabriel the archangel. There has to have been a third archangel. Could it be that Lucifer was the third archangel when we speak of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're going to see something more interesting. All of us, at one time or another, we've enjoyed music. I grew up in, uh, as a youngster in the 50s, and then uh, my teen years were in the 60s. And so if I hear an oldie but goodie song, and, and it'll just bring back memories. 
I can tell you exactly where I was. I can tell you the year. I can tell you what I was doing at that time. That's the, the power of music. I believe that Lucifer is this third archangel. Remember, he falls from grace. But he was in charge of the music. He was in charge of the, the ministry, I believe, of music in heaven. And again, music has such an influence on you. My girls, they just love music. My wife loves music. And, you know, they all have different eras that they grew up in. And, you know, me at the house, after a while, come on, I don't want to hear the Beatles anymore. I'm tired of them. Give me some rock and roll like Santos is going to bring that he changes it over to Christian music. But music has that influence on you. We have, uh, for our Christians, you know, I, when I'm putting a message together, I have to have music. And so I put Messianic praise and worship. And then I'll go from Messianic praise and worship. The next time I'm studying, I, I like to play Maranatha music. And I like to keep it in the background because if I don't have that, the enemy just tries to get in there. Tries to move on me. And so I have to fill myself as much as possible with God. And sometimes when I'm being personally attacked, I, I have to pray out loud. I have to walk around the house or the, in our den or I'll come here to the church and, and just lifting up my hands and praising God. Because the enemy is relentless. He won't quit. And so you have to know your enemy. And so we come to Ezekiel chapter 28. I want to look at verses 11 through 19. And the caption of my Bible says, Lamentation for the king of Tyre. Why should we be lamenting? Why should we be weeping? Why should we be crying for the king of Tyre? He's giving you a description here. Because he's a creation of God. Where did this man fail? He has free will and he chooses. And he takes a third of the angels with him. But let's begin here. In Ezekiel 28, look at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel speaking now. And he says, Son of man, take up a lamentation or a cry for the king of Tyre. And say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection. Describing Lucifer. An archangel of God. You're the seal of perfection, completeness. You're full of wisdom. And you're complete or perfect in beauty. Listen to the description. And so we're accustomed to Lucifer, the devil. And we see the horns. We see the red PJs. We see the pointed goatee. And then we see the tail. And then we see the pitchfork. Uh, that's folklore. It's not the way he looks. He's beautiful. He comes to you disguised. And he tricks you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to search and destroy. And so we need to know our enemy. Notice that it says, you're the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. I want you to see what the purpose of the archangel was. The purpose of Lucifer, as was Michael and as was Gabriel. He was created for the purpose of worship. He was created for the purpose of obedience unto God. And thirdly, he was created to serve God. 
But I want you to see your life. I want you to see my life. I want you to see the believer's life. Now, the non-believer doesn't understand, but we are created, number one, to worship God. We are created to obey God. That's why He's given us the Word of God. And then we are created to serve God. We're created to serve. The same calling on Him, Lucifer, is the same calling on us. God wants us to, to worship Him and to praise Him. God wants us to obey His Word. Not just come and hear it, but make application. And He wants us to serve. He wants us to serve Him. There's many capacities to serve the Lord. But let's get some more description here. Look at verse 13. You were in Eden. I like that. In the garden of God, Genesis chapter 3. Every precious stone was your covering. And notice the description of His beauty. You were like the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, uh, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the emerald with gold. And I like this translation, the workmanship or his ministry, the workmanship of your timbrels, these are tambourines, the workmanship of your pipes or your flutes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Was Lucifer in charge of the music in heaven? I believe so. That's why there's so much influence when it comes to music. But I want you to see this, ladies, especially you. In Genesis chapter 3, what was Eve doing dialoguing with the enemy? He wasn't the serpent crawling on the floor, slithering around. He was upright. He was beautiful. He had the old three-piece suit on. He had a little monocle on. I mean, he looked good. He looked like Mr. GQ. And she dialogued. I don't know about you... I, I, it's not just the ladies, but the men. You see a snake, what do you do? Oh, let's go. Get away from that snake. Especially if you hear the, the old New Mexico, uh, you know, rattling. Something's wrong. It's nothing for us where we live. You're going up uh, Westmoreland and, oh, look, there's a rope. Nope, it's no rope. It was a rattler. Somebody got him. They're here. And so he's upright. He's in beauty. He's in all splendor. And she dialogues with him. It all started back in Eden. The garden of God in all beauty. But it's going to be cursed. We know that. Look at verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. He says, who covers. I establish you, saith the Lord. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Michael is a combatant. He's an archangel. Gabriel is the messenger. He's an archangel. I believe Lucifer, again, the third archangel in charge of the music. And again, music has such an effect on our hearts. Verse 15 goes on, and you were perfect, listen, in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. Iniquity is sin. We're going to study in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, what Got a hold of Lucifer. Pride. So many times that's what gets a hold of us, church. I want you to mark this verse down. You all know it. You've heard it. In Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
A haughty spirit is a rebellious spirit. A haughty spirit is a prideful spirit. A haughty spirit is exactly what got a hold of Lucifer. It was his pride that took him down. And if we look at our own lives, pride is essential in my life. Pride is essential in your life. I speak from experience. Back in 1976, they started witnessing to me. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. Come on. You got to minister to me. What do you mean I have to be born again? And so this period went on. A three-year span. Pride would not let me listen to the gospel message. And yet I, I, I bought a Bible. In fact, my wife bought it for me. It was a, a living translation. Now they have the new living translation. And I read it. And I thought I knew everything. And honestly, and I shared this with some of you, I would come to passages that I did not like because they spoke of me. I'd throw the Bible. I'd throw it across the room. I'm not going to read that thing no more. And yet the Spirit of the Lord, little by little, was chipping away the old man, chipping away that pride. In 1979, I come to saving grace, both my wife and I. But the devil tried everything in his power. And so we need to recognize, we need to know the enemy. He was perfect. He was perfect. He was beautiful. And yet pride sits. And look at verse 16 now. By the abundance of your trading, the word is merchandising in the Hebrew. You became filled with violence within. Well, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Not with anger, not with strife, not with jealousy, and not with violence. And you sinned. What was the sin? Isaiah chapter 14, we'll see it. It was pride. Therefore I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. He was kicked out and I destroyed you. O covering cherub. From the midst of the fiery stones. Listen, Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. Study Revelation chapter 12. There was a great battle uh, with Michael and the dragon, Lucifer himself. And then he took a third of the angels and they followed him. He merchandises your life, my life. He's the accuser of the brethren. He hates you. He hates me. And the demonic world is there trying to pursue it all. Notice merchandising. So many different ways that he comes. Again, he's not wearing the red PJs. Come on. He's beautiful. He's articulate. He has wisdom. And he comes after your mind. He comes after your heart. Look at verse 17. Your heart, speaking of Lucifer again, was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted or you ruined or you decayed your wisdom from the sake of your splendor. The splendor speaks about his brightness, his beauty. God says, I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Once I came to Christ, once you come to Christ, then you recognize the enemy. You come to saving grace. The Holy Spirit uh, tabernacles within you. He begins to lead you and guide you into all truth. It, it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. It doesn't matter if you're a king or you're a common laborer. 
The enemy wants to get your soul. And we see all these people that have pomp and glory and, and you know, we talk about athletes, we talk about actors, we talk about musicians, and the enemies dupe them. And then the kids and, and adults as well follow them. Notice, again in verse 17, his heart was lifted up because of his own beauty. He believed your own wisdom <laughs> for the sake of your splendor, the brightness of who you were. But I cast you down. And I laid you before kings that they might gaze on you. The time will come. Look at verse 18. You defiled your sanctuary by the multitude of your iniquities, your sins, by the iniquity of your trading or merchandising. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst that devoured you and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all to see you. You see, Lucifer, Satan, the devil himself was defeated at Calvary 2,000 years ago. I like what one old preacher said. I never forgot it. He was defeated at Calvary 2,000 years ago, but he doesn't know it. The time will come. Revelation chapter 20, he'll eventually be cast into the lake of fire. He will become nothing but ashes. Look at verse 19 as we conclude this portion now. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and, and shall be no more forever. Once you recognize your enemy, the devil, you realize that he is nothing. You are saved, sanctified, set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, he'll harass you. But he can't take over your life anymore. One day we will vividly See him, Lucifer. He's a created being. We will see him for who he is. He's destroyed. He's nothing. The Lord rebuke you. Lord, I'm covered with your blood. And yet the enemy's there. We cannot deny it. Know your enemy. I want you to flip back now to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 21. In Ezekiel chapter 28, we saw the description of who he is. He was a created being. He had a purpose. God had a plan for him. But as man, the angels also have a free will to choose. He chose the five-eye wills. They're called the famous five-eye wills of Lucifer. He says to God, I can, and I will, and I will, and I will. No respect. No concern. I mean, he had a good job, if you want to say the words. He had a good ministry. But all of a sudden, his pride took over. Look at Isaiah 14, look at verse 12. And I like that it says in the caption of my Bible, the fall of Lucifer. How... You are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations. Oftentimes I, I love the Amplified Bible and I love the New Living Translation just to give you a deeper meaning. Verse 12 here in the Amplified. How have you fallen from heaven, O light bringer and day star, son of the morning? 
how you have been cut down to the ground. You who weakened and laid low the nations. O blasphemous, satanic king of Babylon. When we speak about Babylon, we speak about destruction. Why? Because he brings a false light. Babylon in Scripture is an actual place. We know that. The word Babylon is synonymous to tyranny and idolatry, corruption. And this was one of the major problems in the Old Testament, especially for the nation of Israel and the enemy. He lives by those rules. The New Living Translation I wanted to give you, verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. If you're taking notes, it speaks about his brightness. It speaks about him uh, being the, the son of the morning. The Amplified speaks of him as being a light bringer and day star. The New Living Translation, O shining star. So we see the picture of his brightness. I want you to study 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 through 15. The Corinthian church was into many false teachers and many false doctrines, false teachings. Here is Paul is warning concerning Satan and his demon. They will be as angels of light. I want you to listen to this verse. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, Paul says, I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If he came to you in a demonic form, it would scare the daylights out of you. And you would run. But he comes in beauty. He comes in subtlety. You know, I'm always amazed. On television, they have the beer commercials. They always make it look appealing. The girls are always in bikinis. Everything looks great. Everybody's smiling. Nobody's drunk. But we know, those of us that came from alcohol, we know what it does. Destroys your life. Destroys the life of, of a marriage. Destroys children. And yet, it, it's all pomp and, and glory on TV. This can be you if you buy this six-pack. That's what they're saying. I remember going to a, a revival that was back in Southern California, the guy says, you know, Satan comes to you and he's a bottle of Budweiser. Satan comes to you and, and he's Southern Comfort. Satan comes to you and, and he's a bag of weed. He will disguise himself. He will disguise himself. And so we need to understand the enemy. I'm not surprised, Paul tells the Corinthians, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How many times have we heard of somebody that has an out-of-body experience? And how many times they, you know, they see a light, they go through this, this vortex, this, this whole tunnel, 
and they're going, you know, exaggerated, but millions of miles an hour, and all of a sudden, they hit the place they were supposed to go. You see all this beautiful light, and it's just blinding you, and there's always flowers, little bunnies, and all that stuff, you know. Study the Corinthian letters. Paul says, I know a man that went to heaven. He went to the third heaven. He was in paradise, but Paul came back with that experience and he says, I can't tell you what I saw. It's indescribable. And yet these guys come back, these ladies come back, and then they write books. And they're all the same. Remember that Satan disguises himself as a light. As an angel of light. Look at verse 13 now. For you have said in your heart, there's the problem. He was a created being just as we are created being. Yes, he's angelic. Uh, we're a human being. But we have a heart. And that heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9 and, 7, 9 and 10. 9 through 10. Look at our hearts. Before we came to Christ, my heart was... Desperately wicked. So was your heart. And that's why we need Christ. For you have said in your heart, I will. And I want you to count them five times. Famous five I wills of Lucifer. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. Number four. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then the ultimate. Number five, I will be like the most high God. Be careful. The famous five by wills of Lucifer. The gall of this angel. The pride of this angel. The ultimate is the conclusion. As he says here, I will be. Like the Most High God. You know, there are churches that teach you can re reach Godhood. You can reach God's state. Be careful with that. I need God. You need God. I desperately need Christ. God sent His Son to become the mercy seat, the propitiation for my sin, for your sin. I want to be more like Jesus, but I'm not God. And I'll never be God. And be careful with that. There are those that teach it. And there are those in, in our nation that say they are Jesus Christ. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. He says to the lowest depths of the pit. What pride does to an angel. What pride does to a man or a woman. Think of all the different people that in our lifetime, I, I know I'm up in age now, so there's a lot of athletes that I knew, a lot of actors that I've known, singers. What about scientists? What about doctors and lawyers? What about Bruce Jenner? He seems to be the talk right now. I remember him on the, the cover of Wheaties. And now it's not Bruce Jenner, it's Caitlin. Give me a break. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt he's not happy. 
He thinks he is, but he's not happy. You're trying to tell God that he messed up? I was supposed to be a woman, not a man? It's crazy. And this is ongoing. How many athletes have fallen? Uh, I like to watch golf. Years ago I played it, but don't have the time, but I followed the golf scene. Tiger Woods is great. You know, he was doing so well. He was, they knew he was going to catch all the records. He was very young still. Then what happens to Tiger Woods? He commits adultery. Big time. All over the news. If you go back and look at his stats, when he committed adultery, it's been a downhill after that. Downhill. He's never going to set the records. Never. And he won't repent. And he won't come to Christ. His mom was a Buddhist. I don't know what his dad was. You talk about scientists. Stephen Hawking was considered the most brilliant mind around. He'll have nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. I don't care what you've accomplished. That's great. What about Christ? What about God? What about his son that he sent to die on the cross? To become the mercy seat. Satan blinds you. The enemy dupes you. He puts thoughts in your ears, in your heart, in your mind. He deceives you. Don't listen to the voice. Look at verse 16. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man, speaking of Lucifer, who made the earth to tremble, who shook the kingdoms? I think sometimes people fear Satan more than they fear God. More than they fear God. It's almost like sometimes he puts a spell. Satan had a choice just like us. He chose evil and he was defeated. And one day we will finally see who he is. Nothing. In fact, we're going to say, is this the man? Where's the red PJs? Where's the horns? Did you shave that goatee off? You see, we have this concept. We have this concept. Back in Southern California, we had gone to a Halloween party, and it was at my aunt's house, and my Uncle John, of all people, I love that man dearly, and uh, when I got there, he's dressed as a devil, and I was like, Uncle John, what are you doing? He even had the red makeup on. And he was the head of the party. Everybody was wanting to hold his tail. And I never forgot it. I go, man, that's the way the devil looks. No, that was a party. He comes disguised. He comes as an angel of light. But one day we'll see the true reality that he is nothing. Look at verse 16 now. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you. Is this the man? 
Look at verse 17. Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its city because of his sin nature. Who did not open the house of his prisoners. Jesus opened the house of the prisoners. The Garden of Eden was the most beautiful place God created for man. His lies, his deception corrupted the Garden of Eden. It became a desert land to be toiled with sweat. That was the curse. Now, if you go back to Genesis, we know the story. Adam and Eve are naked, but there's no shame. There's no sin. The temperature in the garden was perfect. And life was just tranquil. God said, this is the part of obedience. God said, of all the trees in the garden, you may have. But this tree, don't touch it. Isn't it just like human nature? Oh, I wish you wouldn't have told me don't. I have this tendency, I keep looking at it. And you know, you remember when mom said don't? Remember when dad would say don't? And then it just, why did you do that? I told my mom one day when I was a teenager, mom, don't tell me because then I'm going to want to do it. Just, I don't know, leave me alone. But she would say, mijo, don't do this. Oh, man, I'm looking for a way to do it, right? It's exactly, all the trees in the garden, why did you pick this kumquat tree? I don't know the type of fruit. I know it wasn't an apple. It was something pleasurable. Not only did Eve partake, and then she goes, Adam, I have something here for you. Oh, really? What is it? Oh, look how shiny. And they both bite into it. The enemy does not play fair. The Garden of Eden was the most beautiful place God created for man. But the lies and the corruption, the Garden of Eden became a desert land. To be toiled in sweat. It was cursed. Look at verse 18. All the kings of the nation, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. Now, it's a very heavy verse here. All the kings of the nation, past, present, and those that are going to be future. I want you to think of all the kings that you might know of or you read about, emperors, presidents, pharaohs, monarchs, uh, czars, and, and Caesars. The kings of the nation lie in stately glory, each in his own tomb. They receive the pomp and the glory on earth, but without Christ, they're dead men's bones. Without Christ, they're dead men's bones. I remember when we studied uh, the pyramids of Egypt. I remember when we studied the, you know, the pharaohs of Egypt, and, and they were all buried with their riches. And we know through the ages. <laughs> The grave robbers have gone in. And I mean, we hear some bizarre stories. People, you know, they want to be buried this way. They wonder, I've done enough funerals. I understand that. I, I'm still always amazed by that man in, in Texas. He wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. And they did. They buried him in his Cadillac. Now, here's the one that gets me. Uh, I'm a Ram fan, okay? An L.A. Ram fan. 
And so they don't exist anymore. So once they do, I'll go back to football. Some of you might be Steeler fans. I remember reading this article, saw the pictures. I couldn't believe it. It was a black man, and he was a Steeler fan. He loved the Steelers. And so in his will, this is the way I want to be remembered. And the pastor went ahead and did it. They had him in his lazy boy on the altar. And he was in his beautiful pajamas. And he had a really nice, like a smoking jacket on. And underneath it, his Steeler fan gear. In his hand was the clicker. Over here was a drink and a little table. And he preached the gospel. <laughs> and I said, when, when's he going to change the channel? <laughs> you know, the bizarre things. I, I, why is there flowers in the time of funerals? I mean, the dead person doesn't know. I'm sorry. You know, why is there a lot of things? There's so much. The Bible says, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. This body's dying. It's a tent. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. One day, we're either going to be raptured in the, in the church or we're going to see death. We're going to see death. This woman that I spoke of, she died in her sleep. First thing I thought of, oh, man, I'd like to die in my sleep. And then I think, well, I hope my wife dies with me. I've often told Mary, don't you dare die before me. To be absent from this body, 2 Corinthians 5.8, is to be present with the Lord is to be present with the Lord. And so, again, look at verse 18. All the kings of the nation, all of them, sleep in glory, everyone in his own household. But if they don't know Christ, they're dead men's bones. Listen to what Jesus said. I want you to mark it down. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Uh, one of the issues that Jesus dealt with, or one of the people, it was, was the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. They were constantly coming against him. And these were the elite in Israel. These were the Sanhedrin. They were the rich. They were the religious famous. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. The word is hypocritos, actors. For you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear very beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And all uncleanness. Now, I know, you know, when people come, Pastor Bob, will you do the memorial service for my loved one? Will you do the funeral service? I said, yes. And most of the time, you know, we even have brought the casket here or we'll go to Getz or uh, one of the other funeral homes, I'll, I'll minister there, and then we'll go to the graveside, graveside, minister again. But then there's always those that want to be cremated. That's me. Cremation 
I don't want my wife to worry about it anymore. Uh, I think it's 1200 bucks now. I wish we could do it in the backyard, but you can't. You'll get in trouble. <laughs> uh, what's Bob doing out there? <laughs> Smells kind of fishy, you know. Uh, anyway, I told my wife, if I pass away before you, cremate me. I, I don't want to be left in a box or that little jar, that little vase. I go, take me to California, throw me in the ocean, the ashes. And if you can't make it, wait till the Rio Grande is full of water, then throw my ashes there. I don't want nobody coming back and forth and looking. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. My soul and my spirit, your soul and your spirit, go home to be with the Lord. You know, we buried my mom, we buried my dad. And it was hard. It was tough. But I had this assurance. Listen, I had this assurance. I knew when my mom and dad went. I know that I will see them again one day. I don't care what kind of ceremony you have. I don't care what kind of ceremony uh, the kings of the world have. The monarchs of the world. If you don't know Christ, it's dead man's bones. That's what Jesus said. Uh, look at verse 19 now. We want to come to the conclusion here pretty quick. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, a thrust through with a sword, who go down uh, to the stones of the pit uh, like a corpse trodden underfoot. Uh, again, listen to the Amplified. It, it gives us a vivid picture of the grave. You are cast away from your tomb like loathed growth, or premature birth, or an abominable branch, speaking about uh, the followers of, or the family of, and like the raiment of the slain, and you are clothed with the slain, those thrust through with the sword, who go down to the, to the stones of the pit, in which carcasses are thrown. You're like dead bodies trodden underfoot. Radical. Radical. Again, these are the results of one without Christ. These are the results of one without salvation through Christ. You, you, can, you can clothe the body. You can primp the body. You can do all you want. And they do. They have professionals that do the makeup and stuff. And, you know, three-piece suit. Uh, bury me in my jersey. Uh, gang members, I, I get... Frustrated, they go to the, the funerals and they always put a bottle of, of you know, tequila in there. What, what are you guys doing, man? And, and then the, their colors, the blue or the red, they'll put it in there. I mean, everybody has this idea, you know, that they know Christ. That they know Christ. And so the enemy comes into the picture. <laughs> again, you can clothe it, you can primp it in all its glory and splendor, but it's still rotten, decaying flesh. That's why I say cremation. And it's hard, it's tough. My mom had a hard time. My dad was the first one that said, cremation, I want to be cremated. My mom goes, Bob, you can't do that. Why not? You can't, you can't burn your body up. 
My dad says, I'm not there. I went home to be with Jesus. So one day I tell my dad, I said, Dad, give me the real reason you want cremation. He looks around. He don't want my mom to hear. He goes, I hate bugs. <laughs> I go, what? Bugs, man. You know. Okay, Dad. I don't want to hear any more. <laughs> Look at verse 20 now. Uh, you will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood, listen, or the seed of evildoers shall never be named. Lucifer and a third of the angels that followed him in Revelation chapter 12, plus all who die without Christ in the New Testament and all who die without God in the Old Testament, you must have faith in God and you must receive His Son as Lord and Savior. Now, uh, in the Old Testament... The Bible says Abraham believed God by what? Faith. Faith. In the New Testament, God sent his son to become the propitiation for my sins. Faith in God will find themselves out of hell, out of Sheol, out of Hades. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have God in your heart, not only are you going to see hell and Sheol or, or Hades, all the different names, but then taken out of there and cast into the lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter 20. Satan and his demons will follow. They have descendants. The descendants are those that followed the, the will of Satan, not God. Think about that. And in hell, and then eventually the lake of fire, You'll have the false prophet, the Antichrist, and Lucifer. And yet people don't believe. Verse 21 comes to the conclusion. Prepare, slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. In the world, we have two choices. We can choose good or evil. We can choose right or wrong. We can choose God or, or Lucifer. We can choose the enemy. Or we can choose Christ. Either way, a place is ready for the slaughter of the sons of the wicked. Those who followed the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, they will perish with their father's line. He has descendants. They will not inherit a square foot of land or desecrate the face of the world with their cities. Never. I want you to mark these two verses down. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. We're going to be kings and priests in the time of the millennium. In Revelation 5.10 and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. This is only for the true believer in Christ Jesus. Satan will have no rule in the millennial reign. Bible says, now listen to this. He will be placed in chains. 
1,000 year reign of Christ, Jesus will be teaching in Jerusalem. We will be there as kings and priests. Others will be there. There will be a new generation of people born during this time. Some will not know Christ. How is that possible? And then the Bible says after the thousand year reign, the millennial reign, he'll be loosed for a season and he will tempt the nation. How? Because of the heart of man. Christ speaking to you. Christ teaching you. And yet, you still refuse. God gives us a free will. A free will to choose or to reject. And so, Next week, we're going to look at part two. We need to know our enemy. I believe that we come to saving grace. I believe that we study the Word of God. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit comes into my life, comes into your life. I believe that the Holy Spirit, listen to me, will lead you and guide you into all truth. As God begins to speak to you, minister to you. Some of you I've known for years. You've been part of the church. I've seen your life. I've seen the transformation. You can't change your life. Only God can. We have people that are coming to the recovery class on Tuesdays. And there's some changed lives there. Adrian that's leading the, uh, the teaching there, he's doing a great job. And he's come from that background. He's come from that background. He knows and he's trying to reach out to some of these. Because the devil, again, he'll come disguised. For me, it was a bottle of Budweiser. For me, it was Johnny Walker Red. For me, it was, I, I, I didn't like drugs, but I sold them. I sold them. Whatever your cup of tea is, Satan will use that. He will dangle it before you like the proverbial carrot before the cart. Drugs. That's why I love Pastor Mark that was here for Klein Park. He has the house of Esther, the house of Jeremiah. Change lives. These men, these women that are there, some of them been there uh, a couple of years. Mark won't kick them out until they're ready. And some have left, and then they come back. The world's evil. And the appetites of the world are evil. Let me tell you something. 36 years later, I can smell a beer. Especially when my wife makes tacos. Oh man, tacos and beer, they go together, right? Be careful. The enemy's out there. I wanted to end, as we begin this series, with communion. What a beautiful way to end the service. Knowing your enemy, partaking of communion. Jesus said, do this and remembrance of me. But before we partake of communion, your life needs to be right with God. If you haven't come to saving grace, if you haven't come to the born again experience, you have to come to Christ. Lord, forgive me. Lord, come into my life. I want to follow you. If you're backslidden, Lord, I'm a prodigal son. I'm a prodigal daughter. I need to come back. And the story of the prodigal son the son didn't know to come home. He was, he's not, my dad's not going to take me. And when he sees him coming, the dad runs out. Runs to him. That's how much he loves us. And the enemy wants to fool you with the lies. 
the trickery, the angel of light. Come to Christ today. Rededicate that life today. 